Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey there everyone, welcome back. Today is episode number 30 of the Adaptify podcast. Man, we've had some fantastic guests on the show so far. Today's guest is Richard Corbett, and quite frankly, this guy, I don't know how he's still alive. He fell 50 feet and landed onto concrete, and not only that, he navigated drug and alcohol addiction to come through firing with a real purpose and a massive impact that he's making through Wheels to Walking, his online video tutorial for wheelchair users around the world to help them increase freedom. The alignment between what Richard's doing and what Adaptify is doing is so smooth. And today we're going to uncover all of Richard's tips on how he navigated his way through the darkest moments of his life. And these are things that you can apply even if you haven't been through tricky situations. They're solid, solid bits of advice. Richard's a fun guy, and uh, you know I'm really grateful to have you on the show. Richard, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. So where are you uh, Where are you calling in from? I am currently in Atlanta, Georgia, hot and humid down here. Is it really? Is it really? And so, uh, how do you how do you manage that? I mean, I notice you're in a in a singlet a lot of the time, and that that maybe that explains part of the reason. Um, but uh, you know, does the heat affect you as a wheelchair user? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I drink just a ton of water, and uh, yeah, I do wear uh, gym shirts a lot, mainly because uh, less fabric, more breathability. Uh, but I do wear long pants most of the year, even when it is uh, 100 degrees, just because I, I I got a weird thing with tiny legs. I'm not a big fan of my tiny legs, so I'll, I'll wear shorts <laughs> or I'll wear pants. I uh, got you, mate. And uh, you know, of course, the singlets. Um, you know, you're a, you're a buff guy. You work out lots, and the the girls must love it. You must get a lot of attention, do you? <laughs> well, I get a lot of attention from my girlfriend. That's for sure. She definitely <laughs> <laughs> she definitely um, appreciates it when I. You know, I'm walking around all muscly. Nicely answered, mate. You could have got yourself in trouble there, but, um, but you handled that very well. Hey, um, so did you always grow up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or, or um, you know, what's your what's your backstory there? Uh, I was born in Roanoke, Virginia, and um, after my parents' divorce, I moved to um, a suburb of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, not to be confused with Kansas City, Missouri, much different, um, and uh, lived in that suburb for about 10 years and then uh, to pursue a sculpture degree at an art school I really wanted to go to I moved here to Atlanta Georgia when I was I want to say 19 and I've been here ever since so what sort of things were you into in in what seems like kind of small town America is that an accurate description um or yeah you know it was Kansas a big a big town big city so in, in Roanoke, Virginia, I was I was in a kind of a farm area. I had um, access to horses and barns and guns and and archery, and you know I got to play in the dirt and play with my dog. And uh, I was homeschooled as well, so I got to just kind of do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, uh, and that was pretty great. Uh, riding bikes was like my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, building tree forts, jumping on the trampoline, that kind of stuff. Um, when I moved to uh, Kansas City, it was more suburban, a lot less country. So um, there was a lot of things that I couldn't really do the same way that I did before. Uh, I remained homeschooled. So I had a lot of uh, ability to kind of just, again, kind of do whatever I want, whenever I wanted. Um, and I picked up more uh, things like BMX riding and um, rollerblading and, you know, just hanging out with friends and you know, and that eventually evolved uh, once I started driving and just street racing. And, you know, I also like playing uh, tournament paintball. That was really fun. And, um, you know, I've always been the type of person that likes to be outside, that likes to be active, that likes to work out. You know, I still go to the gym. That's one of my favorite things to do. You know, it's, it's definitely something that when I came to Atlanta, I was living in the city and that was new because I'd never lived in a proper city before. I'd only lived in suburbs and, and stuff like that. But my, my history is, is very much of having a lot of freedom to kind of just do whatever I wanted to do. 
um, because my homeschooled was was more like self-taught homeschooled, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> Mom was busy working, providing because she was a single mother and didn't really have a lot of time to to sit down and teach me many things. So I just kind of like picked up things that I enjoyed doing and would focus on those and had a fun time doing them. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, um, is, is homeschooling quite quite common in the in the US and, and worldwide? What do you know about it? Um, it can be. Um, it's primarily um, common in rural areas and um, within religious communities. So um, people that are not really close to schools will choose to homeschool their kids or people that choose to um, use the Bible to like teach things as opposed to regular schooling. I don't think that's a great idea. I think that's actually kind of a really bad idea. Um, uh, but a lot of religious folks are afraid of what uh, public school curriculum says. So they will get different kinds of Christian homeschooled curriculum, which is mostly just made up stuff. Um, but those are the two areas that are that are pretty popular. So even though I was a homeschooled person, I didn't really fit in too well with the other homeschool groups because I didn't fit in with the rural folks or with the religious folks as well. So was this a, was it a choice that your mother made um, born of necessity or just born of her, her beliefs that she could provide a better education for you or, or something else? I have no idea. I've literally never asked her. Um, I, I know that my, my sisters were homeschooled and, and even when we were kind of like in the country area, I think that might've been maybe a necessity because we were more of a rural area then. Mm. But then when we moved, when we moved to Kansas city, we were close to a bunch of schools. I, I think my mom was, from what I remember, she was, she said she was trying to protect me. I don't necessarily know from what, but from what I've been told, I was a very weird kid, meaning that I kind of beat into my own drummer, kind of did my own thing, like said stuff that maybe wasn't like right to say at the right time. So in her head, I think she was trying to protect me from bullying, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm but I'm still not 100% sure because I, I don't know if I've ever properly asked her like, hey, why did you do this? And and I remember I, I enjoyed being homeschooled. I, I liked being able to, you know, stay up late and sleep in late. I liked not having homework. I liked being able to kind of decide what I wanted to learn. And again, that's very untraditional form of homeschooling. It's not common to kind of just let your kid do whatever they want to do, but she was, she was busy working and didn't really have a lot of time to, to spend teaching me, I guess. That's really interesting. I mean, I know this is quite off topic, but I find it fascinating that um, the schooling system was born out of the industrial revolution, where workers had to go to factories and they needed they needed kids to go and um, you know be educated and and uh, sort of almost be uh, you know go to these big institutions. Whereas education used to be just that on the farm. You know, your, your parents would mm-hmm. get you working and that that educate you on the way of uh, way of the world. You know, geography, um, agriculture, you know, business um, while while they were at home. Um, and that that'll that'll shift with the industrial revolution. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's a uh, uh, you know education. My, my son goes to a Steiner Rudolf Steiner school, which is um, you know it's a not a standard form of education, um, and they teach some things about the environment and the seasons and art and creativity and personal relationships, and it's not all um, academic based. And uh, and I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's really cool, and I also think that education is more than just school. It's actually, uh, you know, what you do with your kids and after school and the weekends. It's the uh, environments you put them in. It's the friends and uh, the community you're with that that all combine to educate uh, educate our children and ourselves. So, so you're one hundred percent. You're one hundred percent correct. I, I I believe, like you mentioned before, pre-industrial revolution, the way you learned was from your elders. And from the family and from the friends that were nearby. And and it wasn't just, you know, like textbooks and regurgitating and memorizing information. And then Industrial Revolution comes along and they use school to create factory workers. They need people that mm. are obedient, that can read and understand instructions and that are used to a seven to five or, or nine to five or seven to three thirty schedule. Mm. And, and now that we've kind of stepped away from that, type of work the school system still hasn't changed you know like it's it's very archaic mm-hmm. and and now we say oh well okay well after you get through your your primary school or you know your k through 12 then it's time to go to college and then you go to college and spend all this money and get in all this debt and you know learn all this stuff that's real life experience would teach you better 
you know, and then you're 22, 23, and then you go to your very first job and you still don't know what the heck's going on in the world because you have no real world experience. It's, it's definitely interesting how, you know, I think there's a new breed of children that's going to be grown up that will be, you know, taught to be thought leaders, that will be taught to be entrepreneurs, that will taught to be people that are caring and compassionate and kind and, and not just, you know, memorize this and then regurgitate it later on a test. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't vibe with that at all. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, probably a topic for discussion uh, another time, uh, definitely. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely. Could, we got a little, little off topic there. <laughs> <laughs> we could uh, we could launch into uh, to all sorts of tangents, which is great. So, um, Richard, back to back to your story. And you're 19 years old, and you moved to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, for for sculpting. What what um, what unfolded for you there? And um, and uh, yeah, what was what was your life like there? And, and how did that all change? So before I moved to Atlanta, I was working at a fine arts bronze foundry doing um, production work. So I was a part of, I guess you would call it an assembly line, like an art assembly line. So I was making these these really cool um, bronze art pieces for an artist. And I got pretty good pretty quick, um, so much so that um, some of the people that were there were like, yo, you should try to take this further than than just working here. And I said, okay, let me, let me look around for some schools. And I had a sister that lived in Atlanta and I thought to myself, okay, well, let me look around and see if there's any schools here. And there was one that I really wanted to go to and it had a really prestigious um, sculpture program. So I decided to move to Atlanta with like 300 bucks in my pocket and no job and just crash at my sister's house. And then I spent the next year or I think year, um, just really trying to get into that school, you know, building a portfolio and doing all the applications and taking some of my, you know, uh, standardized tests, something like the ACTs and Mm. just doing my best to get in. I I finally got admitted and I was like, yes, I can't believe this is happening. This is amazing. You know, took out a bunch of loans and was, was really excited to, to get going. I did my first quarter there and uh had a great time learned a lot and then a couple of weeks into my second quarter is uh when i had my accident uh my fall that that left me um, in a wheelchair so that kind of put quite a bit of a damper on that career temporarily or that that route temporarily yeah be it man isn't it isn't it crazy how uh one minute you're just having the time of your life and, and everything's just absolutely incredible. And in a, you know, just in a, in one moment that can change, you know, and it, and it can be something that happens to you or someone close to you or um, a world event or a, you know, some natural disaster or something. It can just, it can all change in a, in an instant. Um, so uh, your accident, what happened, man? Tell us about it. So it was um, the weekend of Martin Luther King Day. So here in the United States, once a year, um, we take a Monday off um, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. And the it was a long weekend, so we decided to have fun and hang out with friends and you know go um, you know have a party or whatever. And then the next morning, I was you know going to go to the gym because it's Monday and that's what you do on Mondays is you go to the gym because at the time I was I was real into fitness and mm-hmm. all that. So I uh, woke up in the morning, a friend of mine was going to come. I think he might've been unable to come due to drinking too much or something. He said, no, man, I can't make it. <laughs> so, I, so, I, so I said, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll, co- I'll go anyway. So I went and uh, checked the doors and this was the school gym. So I checked the doors and the doors were locked because it was a holiday. Didn't, didn't put that into, into thought. Uh, and then decided to uh, go for a run instead. I thought, oh, okay, if I can't lift weights, I can go for a run. And if I go for a run, that'll count as a workout for today. So uh, school is in the city and I went for a run. And just in my head, I thought, okay, I'll go this way. I'll go that way. You know, I'll make a route in my head. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a route that I'd never been before, but I knew I'd seen runners running that route before. So I thought, okay, can't be against the rules to go run there. So I, I was just out for a run, and as I was running, um, I, I fell uh, 50 feet into an underground parking deck. So here in Atlanta, we have underground parking decks uh, to kind of just save space where they put the parking underground. 
mm. and and a lot of the uh, vent shafts um, for the exhaust fumes, so no one dies of carbon dioxide poisoning. Um, those grades are open um, to kind of just let the exhaust fumes out. This was some some new construction, so there hadn't been anything put over top of this particular hole, and uh, I fell into that hole. Holy shit! Yeah, pretty freaking crazy. Um, I'm I'm glad that I'm alive because it was it was 50 feet and 10 feet kill people all the time. So I uh, I was lucky enough that I was able to to balance my body and land in my feet in such a way that uh, my 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 legs um, took a lot of the force of impact. You know, both both my legs broke. Um, and then my butt hit the ground, and then my butt sent a a shockwave up my spine, blowing out vertebrae along the way. And my left elbow got smashed into powder, and uh, my sternum got split open, which is rather important detail um, because if I wouldn't have leaned back in order to catch myself, that force of impact would have left my skull and would have split my brain open. So. The fact that I am alive at all, um, the fact that I'm not a high level of injury, the fact that I had no uh, internal injuries or brain injuries is is just astounding. You know, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a lot of strength from working out, and I was fortunate enough to have some um, gymnastics training where I knew how to balance myself in the air and kind of direct the way that I was falling so that I didn't wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so I didn't kill myself. Man, I could only imagine the <laughs> the synapses in your brain as you were falling, and and the uh, the instincts that were kicking in to preserve you, and that the man, the endorphins and adrenaline that must have just hit, you know, Richter scale levels of uh, inside your body. Did you did you pass out from from pain and and you know did, you know, geez, I'm just thinking about all the 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 blood that must have been there and all that sort of stuff like and who found you (laughs) Uh, i don't remember i think it was someone on the sidewalk that just saw me like fall and they thought like oh that man just like tripped and like sprained his ankle like let me go check and see if he's all right i remember when i was i was falling i i didn't even consider the fact that my life was going to change forever I just knew I had to position myself in such a way to land on my feet. And and in my head, I was thinking, man, this is really going to sting. Because as a child, <laughs> when you're running downstairs, you jump from the second step every time. Well, then one time you miscount and you jump from the fourth step. And then when your feet hit the ground, you go, ooh, that really hurts. Mm. That was that was literally the only thing that was going through my head. I had, I had no clue. So I hit... Um, I black out momentarily. And when I wake up, I knew something was wrong big time. Um, my legs were flopped out to the side and I couldn't sit up to see them. Um, I felt a lot of like blood running up and down my arm from my elbow. Cause it, it was pretty much turned to powder. And, uh, eventually someone found me, but for the most of the time I was pretty much in and out of consciousness. Like I have a, a quite a visual of like laying on my back, looking up at that hole. Like I know oh, that's, that's, that's imprinted in my brain pretty big. And, um, I used to be afraid to recall that image, but I'm, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me anymore, mainly because I've, I've gone to lots of therapy. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it, was, it was definitely, it was definitely wild. Um, and, I didn't feel any pain until the EMTs got there. Mm. Um, when, when they got there and they started cutting off my clothes and, you know, giving me injections of whatever they gave me injections of probably some painkiller. I, I, I was like, Oh, now I feel the pain. Like, ouch, like what's, what's happening. And, you know, I remember um, as they were cutting off my, my shorts and they went down to my shoes and they said, uh, I heard one of the EMTs holler at the other one. He goes, Hey man, should we, should we cut off his shoes? And then another one says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's the only thing holding his feet on. Oh, and, brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> no. Yeah. So I, um, so I, that was when I remember I kind of was like, all right, I'm out. Like I'm out. <laughs> like, <I can't. laughs> it's not the sort of thing you want to hear, is it? You know? Uh, yeah. Um, I remember uh, they gave me those shoes afterwards and I was like, I don't want these things. They're like, Oh, but these are the shoes that saved your life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It wasn't the shoes. 
Um, oh man, you could have made a great um, advert for like uh, Air Jordans or some, you know, those, you know, those early, <laughs> early uh, gel cushion shoes, man. Um, you, you could have, you could have broken an amazing sponsorship deal and be be, be retired right now. But uh, yeah, I think I, it was, I think it was Mizuno, maybe it was some type of running shoe. Well. If you if you want to survive a fifty feet fall, get yourself some Mizunos. They'll <laughs> they'll keep your <laughs> they'll keep your feet on after you land. Uh, I, I remember uh, the, the the woman that was driving the car that hit me. I remember her uh, yelling at me and saying, "Don't die, don't die," you know. And it was kind of this kind of muffled, you know, echoey noise. It was almost yeah. like I was you know a couple of feet below the pavement. And she, and that was kind of like oh why is she saying don't die you know uh, what's what's happened here yeah it was, it was crazy yeah probably um, thinking to yourself like what, what what could possibly be so bad yeah exactly man crazy another another kind of crazy story a really good friend of ours he was in the states and staying in a hotel and he sleepwalked out of a six story building um, the railing was quite low and he he um, he basically fell over the railing when he was asleep. And he fell six six flights of um, of the building, and again he landed on his feet. Um, he was still asleep. Landed asleep? on his, Yeah, he was asleep, and um, he broke he broke just about every single bone in his body. You know, just shattered everything possible. Um, and you know, the only reason he survived is because someone witnessed him fall out, and he was right next door to a major hospital, so they rushed him in. And saved his life, but he spent you know nearly two years in intensive uh, rehab and surgeries and whatever. And he walks, he walks to this day. He, um, you know, he's broken. He just about he's got so much metal in his body, but uh, no head injury, and um, and he survived six story falling out of a building. So that's man, it's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's wild. I've I uh, I was with my girlfriend the other day, and we were in a parking deck, and I was like we were on the fifth floor and I was like, Hey, come over here. Let me show you something. And we, we leaned over the edge and I said, look at that. And she goes, Whoa, that's really far. And I was like, yep, that's how far I fell. And she literally like had the the most look of terror on her face and like took a step back. And she's like, I can't look at that now. Man. Crazy. It's funny. I, I talk about my story so much that I've kind of lost the shock, the shock factor from it. Like I, I don't, I don't realize how insane of a story it really is. And until I tell it to someone and then their face is always like so shocked or they'll get nauseous or, you know, they, they can't believe it. They're like, how are you alive? And, mm. um, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely wild. And, and then I think about how much gratitude I have because I have, you know, inter- interacted with people that have, gone through way less but have it way worse mm. you know some someone who's been in a, a diving accident or someone who you know crashed a motorcycle or or someone who you know is a is unable to use their hands in any way and i'm like wow uh mm. i got nothing to complain about yeah totally and then that's the case with my friend ed there he i mean yeah he doesn't need a wheelchair he he can still feel his uh you know things below his waist, and yeah, it's just mad how it, how it works out that way. Um, and you know, this is episode number thirty of the Adaptify podcast, and and I've heard a lot of uh, people's stories, and man, yours is uh, yours is one that to me just uh, stands out as uh, you know a, an absolute miracle that you are you are alive, <laughs> really. Is. I I would agree with that. There, I mean, you you take anything and drop it from that height, it's going to break. Yeah. And, and how, how in the world did a human body, which let's be real, is it's made of bones and meat, you know, like how, how in the world can a, can a meat sack, you know, that, <laughs> that, that was, the, you know, <laughs> survive that. So you've, you've been through, you've been through a bit, man. And, and, uh, following on from that, uh, the sailing wasn't smooth. Um, tell us, tell us about what happened, uh, Tell us about what happened next. How was how was rehab and what was life like, you know, following that? So after I had um, all of my surgeries at one of the really good trauma hospitals here in Atlanta, um, other than trauma, they're not that great, but they're really good at trauma. So they they put me back. They put me back together. They I was under anesthesia for almost two weeks, I think. Um, and they just did just a bunch of surgeries. Like they just put me in an, an induced coma and just did a bunch of surgeries. I think I had six surgeries on my legs. I think I had, um, like three on my elbow and like 
like one on my back and and another one on my wrist. And so the the doctors in my family thought it was a better idea to just keep me asleep the whole time. Mm. And they're like, yeah, he's young, he's strong, like he'll be able to he'll be able to handle it. And uh, then eventually I was transferred into um, one of uh, really good uh, rehab hospitals here uh, in Atlanta called Shepherd Center. Mm, heard about and that. yeah, Shepherd Center uh, is is like the place to go if you get hurt in the southeast, like for sure. But the the problem with that was I had uh, both my legs were in casts and my elbow was in a cast, and all I had was a single arm to to do anything with. So I had to learn the best I could to be independent with just one arm, you know, sit up on my own, put on my own clothes, bowel program, calfing, everything I had to learn with just one hand and a power chair. Um, and they couldn't really help me with any other physical therapy or occupational therapy because um, I wasn't allowed to put any uh, weight on my bones. Like no, no weight bearing exercises were allowed. So I, I then went home uh, for like, couple of months until I was able to get the weight bearing situation taken care of. And, and then I went back for another three months of outpatient and that was pretty cool. Um, I was able to stand a little bit with some big long braces and like a walker and some crutches, but I just didn't like how slow I was. I didn't like how I could carry, I couldn't carry things. I really didn't like how much pain I was in. Um, so I just started using the wheelchair and I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. And I'm more interested in getting back to school and getting a job and, and not having to like mess around with this rehab stuff anymore. So I worked really hard. And in about nine months I was, I was back to school, which was quite a bit different because I had to learn how to modify pretty much everything I was doing before. Um, everything from the classrooms to the actual equipment, it was just a wild, um, situation, but I, I did it. I was pretty proud of myself. And, um, I was even able to get involved in a pretty large, uh, memorial project where I got to do, um, uh, a memorial for the 10th anniversary of the nine 11 terrorist attacks here in the U S. Mm. So that was, that was pretty awesome. And, uh, after that, I, I decided to take a break from school for a little bit and decided to uh, pursue uh, a job at um, this retail store I was working at, um, which is uh, it's called Apple Computers. You may have heard of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> selling uh, computers and iPhones and iPads and all that stuff. And um, I did that for a couple of years, um, but I had a little secret. Um, and that was that um, I had been, while in school, um, abusing a lot of the, um, like study drugs that you can get from doctors. And I was also lying to my doctor about my pain so I could get more and more drugs from my doctor as well. So that, um, little secret progressed and progressed and progressed and progressed to where I was taking just handfuls of pills every day. I was seeing multiple doctors. I was lying. Um, I was incredibly depressed. I was, you know, thinking of every way I could possibly kill myself because I just hated my life. And I didn't even leave my apartment except for to go to work and come back. You know, my work was suffering. My social life was suffering. I'd pushed my friends and family away. It was a pretty terrible situation to be in. And I think it's a common uh, problem that a lot of us with spinal cord injuries face is we get hurt. Um, we're in a lot of pain. We have to take these drugs to make us not be in so much pain. And, and then it turns out we like them. Uh, that they don't just help with the pain, but they help you make you feel better and they give you a little more confidence and they give you that warm, tingly feeling. And, you know, a lot of people choose alcohol as well. That was never one of mine, but I've, I've got plenty of friends that are wheelchair users that have had problems with alcohol. And so um, that led me into a place where I lost my job due to bad performance. And I pretty much was just living off disability checks, getting high and laying in my bed you know, watching movies and playing on my phone um, and thinking about how I was going to kill myself every day. So that was definitely not, not a great place to be in. And um, it really sucked. But luckily, and this is funny that I'm saying luckily, luckily I had uh, a psychotic break, like a mental breakdown where I absolutely lost my mind and um, ended up getting basically arrested. And the, the police saw that my, my brain was just, 
not right. So they, they took me to like a mental health institution. And in that institution, I was able to uh, get clean. And then finally, I was kind of able to see like what the hell I was doing with my life and how I was hurting myself and hurting other people. And, you know, I, I finally saw an out to a life that I, I didn't know I could escape. I was pretty convinced that I was going to be a disabled drug addict who lived in my basement apartment and then eventually just died at a young age. Like I was like, I was convinced I'd given up on all hope. And luckily I was able to, um, detox at that, um, mental health facility. And my family was able to step in and help me find like a dual diagnosis, uh, treatment facility, which basically just means a place that deals with mental health issues and a place that deals with um, drug addiction, uh, usually because those are separated. They're mm. not the same. They're mm. not together. Um, so I was, you know, um, diagnosed with everything, basically. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, including, you know, being a drug addict. And that was that was hard. That was really difficult. I think that was quite possibly um, one of the the hardest things I had to deal with maybe even more difficult than, than having my spinal cord injury. You know, like I, I got, I got hurt, you know, I healed the best I could. I learned to build a new compelling future for myself the best I could, but like the mental health part of it was really difficult. And unfortunately I chose to cope with drugs instead. And instead of dealing with my problems, I just took drugs about it and you can't do that for long. And then I finally get clean and now I have to deal with the, all the challenges and the difficulties that I didn't address with my spinal cord injury and all my other childhood traumas and, and problems and, and difficulties and mental health disorders. And I, I pretty much was like, you're lumped with this massive load to try and yeah. continue with all in one go. Yeah. I had, I had to learn how to relive again, just like I had had, I tried to learn how to relive again with my, when I, with my spinal cord injury and now getting clean with a spinal cord injury, it was crazy. I, that life, that was so hard. I mean, it's still difficult, but not as difficult as it was in the beginning because you can very easily go back. You get that sense that you could easily go, you know, you could easily slip back into your old way. In the beginning. Yes. Not currently. Uh, but, but in the, in the beginning you can, you definitely like, you know, you get 30 days clean, 60 days clean, 90 days clean, maybe even six months or a year. And, and it's enticing because these you're you're having to face and address all your problems. Now you can't hide from them anymore. Mm. And the only way that you know how to hide from them is getting high. You know, um, there's a lot of people that pick up other terrible habits. You know, they'll, they'll pick up, you know, social media addiction or a, addiction to sex or, addiction to gambling or, or addiction to spending money or, mm. you know, people have all these terrible behaviors that they'll continue to do to try to ignore the fact that they've got a whole bunch of work that they got to do on themselves. So, um, I knew that the statistics were not good because almost everybody who gets clean the first time, uh, starts using again, it's, it's, it's almost never a success rate the first time. So I stayed at my, rehab three times longer than most people normally do. And then I chose to go to an outpatient rehabilitation program for another three months. I also chose to go live in a community with other recovering drug addicts that we had to get drug tested. We had curfews, we had accountability. You know, I decided to go to 12 step meetings and, you know, uh, read the literature and pick up a sponsor and work the steps. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know what it's like to be clean or living the clean life or like addressing my problems or acknowledging my past or whatever it is. Like, I don't know what that looks like. That's very scary, but I do know what it's like to be extremely suicidal, living in a basement high out of my mind and, and not wanting to live or care about anything. So it's like, mm. I knew I, I knew I didn't want that anymore. I knew I knew I didn't want that anymore. I didn't know if I wanted the clean life, but I knew I didn't want what I was doing before. So that's where I kind of just went all in and said, you know what, I'm going to be that one person that does it, and um, I'll have I'll have five years clean in November, and that's without using any mood or mind altering substances, including marijuana and alcohol. So 
that's well done, that, man. Wow. That's not, yeah, it's not been easy because you got it. You can't not deal with your yourself and your crap anymore. Like you can't ignore it anymore. Like everything that comes up in your life, you have to immediately address it and deal with it because it'll haunt you if you don't. Okay, so now I can hear people asking, and I'm I'm the same. I'm thinking, how do you how do you address it? How do you, how do you, what are some tactics that people can use to address uh, their mental health and and you know uh, improve their mood, improve their outlook on life? So for me, um, the three things that I I did that helped me the most, uh, but this may not be applicable to everyone, is I started going to to meetings. Um, those are twelve step meetings. Um, and those are people that are dealing with any type of uh, drug addiction or alcoholism. That community is really great. Um, I also got a sponsor and worked steps, but that's also still kind of that same answer. Um, the next big thing I did was I got um, into therapy where I weekly went to go see went to go see someone and openly and honestly talked about what I was dealing with, what I wanted to do, what did I not want to do, how I wanted to deal with it. Etc. And then the third one, which is um, one of my personal favorites, is reading. Uh, reading personal development books on the topics and the problems that you know you have. So if you're dealing with self-esteem issues, then get a book on self-esteem. If you're dealing with procrastination, then get a book on procrastination. You know, if you're if you're dealing with lack of motivation, then then, then get a book on motivation. You know, that that was those are the things. And you can also go to seminars. You can also watch videos on YouTube. You can also get coaches, you know, those, those type of things were what I really appreciated. I think the most, because for me, the first one was 12 step. That means I had a community of people that understood me. The therapist meant I had a super special secret person who I could talk to about anything and that wouldn't judge me. And then the personal development group was a group of people that wanted to constantly better themselves in the same way that I wanted to better myself. So like those three things were the really like important and those, those things I still am a part of today. Like I still go to 12 step meetings. I still see a therapist and I'm still a part of a personal development groups. One of my thoughts of these 12 step programs is your, and, and you perhaps answered this question is that you've got a community of people that understand you, but I also think that you're, you're also amongst people that uh, that are kind of where you don't want to be. Um, you, you know, maybe I think of I think of those communities as maybe they're they're you know ultimately a bad influence. Do you think there'll be a time when you uh, when you no longer need to go or no longer feel compelled to go to those twelve step meetings? I know that I have reduced my amount of meetings over the years. I used to go every day, and now I go about once a week. Mm. Um, and so I've, I've reduced it, but I still think it's important to be in that, that environment. And the, and the reason why I say that is because I consider it like a hand up, hand down type of program mm. where you are constantly reaching for help while constantly giving help at the same time. Because no matter how much time you have clean, there's always someone who has less time than you. And there's always someone who has more time than you. So there's always someone you can learn from and there's always someone you can help. And the best way to get out of your own head is to help other people. The best way to get your ego in check and to get your life into perspective is to help other people. Like I know, like I have a whole host of problems today that are very challenging and difficult to deal with. However, they're a lot less difficult than they were before. So now when I go into a meeting and I hear someone share about like, these difficult, terrible times they're going through that puts my life into perspective. You know, people that talk about, Oh, I I'm having a hard time staying clean. My boyfriend relapsed and overdosed and died on my couch the other day. Oh, I'm having a hard time staying clean. My probation is up and I might go back to jail and lose my kids. Like, Oh, I'm having a hard time staying mm -hmm. clean. You know, I'm, I'm homeless right now. And my car just got towed. I was sleeping in my car. I'm having a hard time staying clean. So like when I, put that in perspective i go yeesh my life is just fine you know that's that's the type that's the type wow. of value that i get out of it wow man that's uh yeah that's that's some insight right there i love that you've got these three methods of of addressing uh you know and improving your life i think they're really uh they're really important the therapy aspect of that uh you know how do you how do you how do you afford that or do you just you 
you know, is that is that funded through through some charitable organisations or are there groups set up that that you can get access to one on one therapy, or is it you've just got to find the money to do it? Um, most insurance companies, if you have insurance, cover therapy pretty pretty high. Like especially if it's insurance through a like a like a job. Like they, they want their employees to be mental, like to have mental health, like to be good people. And, um, they're not going to report any of that back to your job. So you can definitely not have to worry about confidentiality. Mm. Um, I personally, I personally have, um, like government insurance, like state insurance, because I am classified as someone who is totally and permanently disabled. Mm. So that means I get kind of the, the state. Um, and I think I got to pay like 20% of costs which is, is not, which is not that much. Um, and then there are some people that choose to go to see the ones that aren't covered by insurance that are, that are a bit more expensive. Yeah. Got you. Uh, so are there any, any books, uh, that particularly stand out in your mind that have been influential for you? That is a loaded question. I have so many books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think the go-to one that is my absolute favorite because it is for creative people like myself is, is called uh, the war of art not to be confused with the art of war. Uh, I've, I've, I've been told about this book and, and uh, so thanks for the reminder. I need to, I need to read it. It is a kick in the pants, like a beautiful kick in the pants. What it basically does is that it identifies this force called resistance, which I would basically call procrastination. And it helps you defeat resistance in such a way because you can identify it you can see it yourself you can see it in others you can see it in your work and it and it really just helps you realize that like the more resistance you face the, the that usually means you're going in the right direction and you're doing the correct things hmm. and um the author stephen pressfield pressfield like puts it into this really cool you'll just have to read it you're just gonna have to read it. it's it's something that um one of the first personal development books i ever read I keep a stack at my house to give to people and I reread it at least every year. Like it is so good. Great. Thanks mate. I'm, I'm definitely going to do that uh, for sure. Um, man. So <laughs> man, I'm blown away. This is, this is uh, truly been uh, incredible to hear where, where you've, uh, where you've been and, and we, where, uh, and some of the things that have helped you get through that. Um, and, I, and I commend you for uh, for leaning into this this challenge to uh, to improve yourself, man. Because you're uh, you know you're, you're making an impact now, quite clearly uh, to help others, and and you're scaling that through wheels to walking and your YouTube videos. Tell us about how that began and, and what made you decide to be a YouTuber. Sure, I, I didn't ever think I'd be a YouTuber. I just watched a lot of YouTube, and one year i think it was 2017 i think i had tried four different professional ventures and each one of them completely failed and i face planted so hard every time and so i decided to just like take a little bit of time off um to kind of figure things out because i'm like wow no one person can fail this much so quickly like i suck like i was just yeah, i was convinced that i was just a terrible person um, so this is entrepreneurship, and, right? You're, you're trying to launch some businesses or you did launch businesses, but you, you weren't successful with those. Yeah. Uh, one was like a coaching, um, like lifestyle design program. Another one was like a, um, like a collaboration with another artist doing some artwork, uh, doing some art and selling it. Um, another one was attempting to, uh, wow, why am I brain farting right now? Um, kind of like create this like personal development group. So it was just like, I think honestly, like it's a good thing I failed because clearly I didn't care enough about it to keep going, even though I was failing. And I feel like the universe has a way of like making you fail at stuff you shouldn't be doing anyway. So I found myself just really bored creatively. And I like, I, I bought a camera and started video myself like doing daily things that I did differently in my, in my wheelchair, things like going grocery shopping, things like going to concerts, you know, just little stuff like that. And I learned how to edit just by playing around, um, editing workout videos because I used to set up my camera and like edit 
you know, record myself doing workout videos. Then, um, I would upload them on YouTube. And even with not knowing how to actually do YouTube properly, just by watching a lot of YouTube, I kind of knew how to do it. Mm. And, you know, even without the right, you know, thumbnail or even without the correct title or tags or, you know, any of the SEO stuff or channel consistency, whatever, I just put out these videos and the response I was getting was just, just wild. I'm like, Oh, this is insane. Like I have like 10 subscribers, but this video has like thousands of views. Like what is going on right now? And so I approached a friend of mine and I was like, dude, can you help me make like better videos? And then I approached another friend of mine who's kind of like the business savvy side of it. And she's like, yeah, this is great. You need to like do this proper. So um, we took about six months off, uh, me and my producer, um, Andrew, like offline and basically built um, all of Wheels to Walking and even like had a bunch of videos that were that were um, like backlogged. Like we made a trip to L.A., where we, we shot a bunch of videos in LA. So what wheels to walking is, is I make videos for newly injured wheelchair users to help them improve their quality of life and regain their independence. And why I decided to do that was because when I first got hurt, the first thing I did was I jumped on online and started searching for videos about what my life was going to look like, Mm. about what I could, about what I could do, what I couldn't do. And I found nothing. Like I literally found nothing. And And the stuff I did find was just like doctors that were sitting in a room with a white wall behind them, wearing a lab cloak, talking in medical jargon. Or I would find like maybe one really bad quality video of like someone doing something. And I'm like, this is, this sucks, you know? So I, in my research, realized that that hadn't really been solved um, since I had, I'd got hurt. Cause I, there are a few, you know, people on YouTube that are making videos and they're doing a pretty decent job, but I knew what I was capable of. I knew what my producer was capable of. I knew what was possible on YouTube. And I, I could tell that there was not a lot of, there wasn't anyone like really doing it at the, at the scale that I was doing it or wanted to do it. So I just kind of realized like, okay, like every day or every month or every year, I don't know all the numbers, but there are young dudes that get hurt just like I got hurt that mm-hmm. are that are laying up in their, their hospital bed, searching on YouTube, trying to find videos of what their life is going to look like. So like the videos are for them. Like it, it they're, they're 100% for the younger version of myself, that, that person that was so scared and so alone and so afraid and so uncertain about what was going to happen in their life and didn't know, am I going to be walking some, am I going to be using a wheelchair some, will it be a mix of both? You know, can I even have fun? Can I have a girlfriend? Like, can I still do sports? Like all of these questions that I had are now the topics that I make for my videos. Cause I, I think to myself like, okay, what did I need to know? And and now that's just what I do every, every week. We've got a new video that comes out. I also run a pretty healthy Instagram that, um, I interact with people and I put up pictures and I write captions and have conversations with people. And, and it's been pretty great to see the, the, the people that are, that are even not newly injured, still finding value. The people that are newly injured, finding value, the people that are completely able-bodied finding value people that have different disabilities than I do finding value. Like it's been pretty insane. The response. I mean, I've been on YouTube for less than six months and I already have 40,000 subscribers. I mean, that's almost unheard of. And I think that just has to do with the fact that like we're making content that just isn't out there. And that's, that's high quality production produced content of wheelchair users doing wheelchair user stuff while I'm teaching you how to do it at the same time. It's entertaining too, man. I I, uh, <laughs> I love it. I find it uh, I find it really engaging, and um, and like you say, the production quality is top notch. So that partnership you have with with Andrew and and the the, the other woman there, um, what does what does that look like? How does that uh, so, how does that how does that work? So Kat is kind of our business savvy. Um, she helped me set up the website. She helped me set up the email list, um, which is what I call the untold story, where you kind of get like a deeper dive into uh, my story and my life. This podcast did a really great job of that, but there's still more nuggets of information um, in that untold story. Uh, Kat also helped me do all of the back end business stuff to make it um, proper as possible. And not just like YouTubers, like we're, we're setting up a business and this isn't just like YouTube videos. Like this is 
a straight proper like I'm treating it like a startup, you know, like I, I'm, I'm building this creative space in order to make it valuable so that I can sell ad space inside of the videos, but only ads that are adding value to the people that are watching it. For example, Lapstacker, that would be an example of a, of an advertiser that could put their, their ad inside of my video. Um, and then Andrew does all the production work. So he helps me do um, the videos. He edits the videos and he even edits the podcast um, that is behind the scenes um, on our Patreon. Um, and that's another form of uh, funding that we have is through our Patreon is through, through crowdfunding. So we've got this the system set up where we, I've got me, who's the personality, who's got the story and the information. I've got my producer who edits it edits it and puts it all together. And then I've got Kat, who's kind of like my business babe. She's she's the one who um, really empowers me to do a lot of stuff on my own. You know, if I don't if I don't know what the heck I'm doing, I'll hit her up and she's like, I'm not gonna do that for you, but I'll teach you how to do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. I need like, <laughs> like how do how do I do that? <laughs> but it's a uh, it's really great because having those two people really help me focus on the creative side of stuff and the community. And, and that's, that's what I think are, are really important. I like that. I think it's fantastic. Um, your, uh, your producer does, you know, top quality work. You're like you say, you're the personality and then you've got a, almost like a business mentor that is able to uh, steer you in the right direction. And, and no doubt as you grow, you'll find other areas of the business that you might need to bring other, either staff or, um, people on board, um, and, and the realization that you, and I'm in a similar boat really, but you can do most things, um, but it comes a certain point where you've got to hand off some responsibility so that, uh, so you can focus on what you're really good at and what, you know, the value that you're, you're really meant to, uh, provide. Yes. I think we're both in a similar situation where I'm, I've recently been contemplating, um, like intern and or employee because, I find myself throughout the day doing a lot of have to stuff versus doing a lot of want to stuff. And, um, that can definitely kill my vibe because what I want to do is, you know, the big creative personality stuff, you know, but what I don't want to do is, you know, um, reply to emails and write contracts and, you know, try to deal with the tax man and all that stuff, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's good, man. It sounds like you're uh, you're well on your way to you know being a successful entrepreneur. Even though you've had a few, you, you can call them failures if you want. I, I, I like to look at them as learnings and um, and stepping stones to uh, to the next thing. So, what what does the future um, hold for you, um, Richard? What's what's some key things that you're um, driven to uh, to do? For for me and wheels to walking, um, we're kind of the same thing right now. Uh, there's not really a difference. <laughs> so uh, the, the the big thing is uh, to continue to make really cool videos for newly newly injured wheelchair users. Um, to continue to cultivate a space that is attractive for uh, brands and sponsors. Um, that's kind of the big thing right now. I I don't think I'm too stressed about that monetization part because we've got quite a bit of interest, but it's from a lot of things that just don't fit. Like I, I don't feel comfortable putting things into my videos that just don't add value. Like for example, um, like a contact lens company or like a VPN company, like I don't see how that can add value to a wheelchair user at all. Mm. Um, but so like, I think it's just a matter of finding people within the industry. Um, and this is something that like you and, um, Christian talked about briefly on your podcast is it can be challenging because there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of bureaucracy, the FDA is involved. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, hovering, so to speak about like what you can and can't say. And, yeah, you know, all, all that stuff that can be a real big, uh, pull your hair out. But, um, what I'm doing to combat that is I'm just, I'm going to expos, I'm meeting people in person, I'm reaching out to people online and, you know, just continue to make videos, man. We're going to keep doing it and, and having a fun time. And I think, it, you know, also finding other ways to monetize, like such as um, some type of product, such as merchandise, such as um, any type of uh, educational um, product. I mean, I literally have no idea what that is, but it's just the thing I'm thinking about, you know, mm-hmm. um, any, any type of monetization channel that I can do on my own without a third party or without a middleman. You know, I just, I just, I'm not a huge fan of middlemen like in anywhere in my life. So to try to 
find ways in my own life to to do or in my own business to do stuff that that is not uh, middleman centric. You know, like you can make okay money on AdSense, but that's that's still like not where I'm going. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm definitely I'm trying to go above and beyond just like Google Ads because they're unreliable. You can't trust them like at all. Yeah, and the lion's share of the profits going to Google, right? They're not going to you, and they're not going to the advertiser. They're, uh, you know, so I think you're right. Going going direct to your end user is the most efficient and cost effective way for everybody. Um, so, and you get to control the experience too, right? Which is uh, which is fantastic. Absolutely, you know, and that's something that I was even talking to someone. I, I was watching a a podcast uh, with Kevin Hart on the Joe Rogan Experience, and and Kevin Hart does everything on his own. Like everything he does, it's his. He's like, if I want a shoe brand, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my own shoes. If I want to start a multivitamin company, I'm going to start a multivitamin company. Why not me? So I was thinking in myself, like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. like, why, why not me? You know, like if I, for example, you know, uh, a lot of particular sponsors I've been reaching out to are like catheter companies, because that's something that all of us use. Mm. And, and the more and more I realize like how those companies work and how, profitable they can be and how small of a team you can have behind them. I'm like, shoot, why not me? Like maybe, maybe I start my own catheter company. You know, I think <laughs> about, you know, even, uh, or catheter distribution company that sounds more manageable. Um, so how about like a bag? You know, we all carry bags with us to carry our catheters around. Why can't, why not me? Why can't I make my own bag? You know, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot in my head where I'm like, okay, well, what about like a collapsible cane or a collapsible crutch that I can just strap onto my wheelchair? I mean, dude, you're a perfect example of this with your lap stacker. I mean, like you said, I got tired of dropping things. Like, what can I do to fix this? Like bungee cords just aren't cutting it anymore. So you made something like that's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, totally. It's, it's born out of frustration and I'm right with you. It's like, so often people think, oh, someone else will do that. But if everyone thinks like that, no one's going to do it. Right. So <laughs> You might as it might as well be you. It might as well be you that that's you know creating something and contributing and uh, you know leading the way, pioneering. Absolutely, and it's fun. You know, it's fun. It's a it, it is a roller coaster, and that's part of uh, part of the entrepreneur's journey. You, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. You don't know if you're going to fail. You don't know if it's going to be publicly humiliating. But you know what? Um, you're not going to you're not going to find out unless you uh, unless you try. And um, people typically, uh, well, my experience, they. They're not likely to judge you for trying. So yeah. I don't think they're even going to judge you for failing either. I don't even think they'll know if you failed unless you announce it. Totally. <laughs> I think, uh, totally. you know, I, I know there was a, um, I, I listened to a podcast and, and someone was on there and they were saying how, like, why are you so afraid of failing? Do you really think that that many people care about you? And Oh, and I was, <laughs> and I was, I was, I was blown away. Like, it's like, you got it. You have to be kind of narcissistic to be afraid of failing because like, if you think that there's like a lot of people that are watching you like that close, like the truth is they're not. And, and I got to even like test that a little bit. Like I went on vacation and like didn't upload a video and didn't post for a whole week, which is completely abnormal. I mean, I've been consistent on my Instagram game and YouTube game for like six months solid. And one person out of the like 60,000 people that follow me, one person was like, Hey, are you sick? Like, that's it. Like, like the, the idea that anyone would even notice is, is definitely something to, you know, consider what it's like, if you're afraid of failing, it's like, okay, but like, no one's going to know you failed. Like you should probably just try anyway. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, you know, originally this podcast was a weekly podcast and <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm still working a, I'm working a nine to five job. I'm, I'm, I'm working three days a week at a nonprofit to, um, mm -hmm. to, you know, while we build Adaptify up. And, uh, by the way, that's all about to change here. We've just, uh, closed an investment deal. So, so that's pretty Hell awesome. Yeah, dude. Congratulations. Thanks. But, uh, but you know, um, you know, I didn't have the time, but I put this, I'd sort of put this, uh, deadline out in front of myself and I put this goal ahead of myself and I just couldn't live up to it. And, uh, and this mentor said, listen, even if you do one a month, people aren't, they're not going to, they're not going to know, know any different. They're, they're going to judge you if you don't do a weekly podcast and you do, you know, now it's, it's biweekly, but, um, you know, to your point, yeah, often the pressure you put on yourself is just the pressure that you put on yourself. Um, and it, it helps drive you along, but it, it can get out of hand and it can um, it can start messing with you. 
if you're, uh, you, you know, you're not careful with it. Um, so it's a fine balance to be driven and to be focused on your goals, but you can easily get out of balance and your life can easily get out of hand. Um, and in, yes. my, in my case, uh, you know, man, I, I was working 70 hours, 80 hours a week, you know, I was working a 40 hour work week and then I was, you know, I have three startup companies. I've got this uh, wearable technology company, Urigo, um, Adapter Bike Limited, which is building a bike, and um, and Adaptify with uh, with the Lapstacker and various other products. And I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to you know manage all of those while being a dad to a you know ten year old boy who wants my attention and a and a husband to a wife that also wants my attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a bit like you, man, I was almost at breaking point, and uh, this is the end of last year, and I'm thinking, man, something's got to give. So. All right, I'll, I'll instead of doing a weekly podcast, I'll, I'll cut it down to once every two weeks, and and uh, you know that that sort of seemed to help. Um, so yeah, sorry if this sounds a bit like a therapy session, but uh, but but it's uh, no, dude, I'm I'm, you know? I'm nodding along. I'm literally sitting here just nodding my head. And you're right, balance is is key for everything. It's something I I also learned about in recovery um, too. Is one of my one of my sponsors once told me he goes, balance is just the whooshing sound it makes as it blows past you. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So it's like balance is key. And um, for me, one of the things that's helped me balance the most is uh, my relationship with my girlfriend because she works a traditional nine to five, right? Like she works her typical Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm. And then Friday night to Sunday night, she wants my attention. So what that kind of force is not the right, right word. What motivated me is like, okay, I'm going to prep, I'm going to squish all of my work into the time where she's also at work Mm. and, and even at nights too. So it's like, I can do four, you know, 12 hour days. And then I have the weekend available. It's like, or I can do seven, eight hour days. Mm. So it's like, let me make sure that she realizes that like, she is important to me and she's the focus. And it's nice because that's also kind of my turnoff. You know, like I, I don't look at my phone, you know, I don't look at my computer. I've got this, this yellow notepad that sits next to my computer that haunts my dreams. You know, I don't, I don't look at that because it's my daily list of things I got to do. So whenever I have the ability to kind of catch my balance and then even other little things, like I've got, you know, my, my, my meetings that I go to every week and, you know, I have my rowing that I do, you know, other little things that it's kind of like, okay, how can I stop doing what I'm doing to like focus on me just a little bit? So I think you definitely made the right decision. And, and I think sometimes when you have the ability to kind of go, okay, like I don't have to keep doing this because I'm the one who made the rules, then it's okay. Like you're, you're allowed to break your own rules. That's something that I had to learn how on my own. Like I didn't think I could break my own rules. I thought I make my rules. It's rules for life. It's rules for work. It's rules for friendship. It's rules for relationship, whatever. These are the rules. And I'm not allowed to break those rules, no matter how much it stresses me out. But if I can allow myself to break my own rules, then that's okay. Like one of my rules I've been breaking for the past four weeks has been I've reduced my time at the gym mm-hmm. because I was spending two hours, hour and a half at the gym, five days a week. And then by the time I got to work after I ate and showered, half the day was gone. And I'm like, dude, this is unmanageable. I can't do this right now. So I kind of was like, all right, Richard, fine. Three days a week then. Three days. You get three days now because you're stressing yourself out over all this other stuff. So how about you're allowed to work out, you know, three days instead of five. And you know what? I'm fine with it. I'm 0% mad. My body hasn't changed at all. I'm good. So it's like learning to break my own rules. I like it. Checks and balances, like, you know, regular check-ins with how, how you're doing and whether that's with uh, with a mentor or with a friend or with uh, your partner or your kids, you know, how, how am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm three months on since we last had this chat. What's working? What's not working? All right, let's make some adjustments. You know, it's constant refinements to to your life because life is constantly changing. So, so you need to as well. And um, one other, you know, I guess really useful tip that I was uh, given, um, and it might have been through a book, through a self help book or something, was, um, you know, if you've got a you've got a goal that you're really driven to to achieve, you know, if you say to yourself, if what I'm doing right now is that is that helping me get towards my goal, and if it's not, then you know, should you really be doing it? So in, in your case, you know, you, you want to be successful with wheels to walking and you need to spend a decent amount of time on that. Like is going to the gym five days a week really helping you get towards that? And if it's not, well, maybe you should consider reducing those hours. You know, it's so just a real simple rule that I, that I sometimes find myself uh, filtering my life through um, to, to make sure that I'm not, 
you know, wasting the opportunity that, I, that I've set for myself. Well, here's the thought. What about things that are either um, directly or indirectly? So, for example, I'll say like uh, going going to a movie with a friend. Okay, that's not actually helping me achieve my goals, right? Mm-hmm. But that's giving me time to relax and reflect mm-hmm. and recharge so <laughs> that I can then get uh, get to my goals. Totally. Right? I think it's. I yep. think it's like you gotta you gotta find that kind of self care balance. I think uh, a lot of moms are really good at this. They're like, "I'm gonna go take a bath," and you're like, "How does that help?" And they're like, "Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, well, like, well, because yeah. it helps me. It helps me. Like, do you want me to be available? Like, then then I'm gonna go take a bath." Yeah, I like it. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think you have to take a um, a holistic view of it all and um, and understand what value that particular action is actually playing and and where that all plugs in and. Um, and yeah, so absolutely. I think that's, I think it's a useful addition to that uh, little rule and so much wisdom there, Richard. I think part of going through something so traumatic as an injury and then, um, you know, mental health issues is that when you come out the other side, you are just so much, so much wiser and you have so much more resilience and experience to, uh, to help you navigate not only your future, but other people's, you know, present moments and, and futures as well. And, so I really commend you for for what you do with Wheels to Walking and your vision, and I'm really proud of you, mate, for uh, for making it through all of this and um, and, uh, and and getting through it. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast, mate, and um, yeah, I really really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. I, I'm glad we had this talk. It was a real good one. Hey, so for uh, for our listeners, um, look, I'll, I'll make some links, and of course, there'll be a story to follow on from this. But where where is the uh, where is people best uh, able to find you online and connect with you? So on uh, all social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, I am at Wheels the Number Two Walking. So Wheels Two Walking, and then I also have my website, which is Wheels Two Walking dot com. You can also find my untold story that I briefly mentioned at wheelstowalking.com forward slash subscribe. Awesome, mate. An absolute pleasure. And I am absolute certain that you and I are going to connect and and have a bit of fun in the future. Um, I'm I'm planning a trip to the States next year, so I'll be sure to look you up. And if you are ever down under down here in New Zealand, um, you're more than welcome. I say this to everybody, and my wife says, "Man, you, we're going to have so many people come and stay with us." But uh, you're you're more than welcome to come and crash in uh, one of our spare rooms, and uh, I'll be happy to show you around and um, hook you up with people down here. So um, yeah, I definitely invite you along. Appreciate that, brother. I can't wait for us to link up. Awesome, mate. Um, take it easy. All right, we'll talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.